This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We're going to uh, embark upon a series, four Sundays, kind of a summer series. And the uh, background of this series will be out of one book of the Bible, the book of Philippians. We're just actually taking a few scriptures from it. Uh, but the series itself, I think, is a, uh, is a very good summer series, and it will fit every person listening to me online, Mill Plain, 217, downtown, wherever you are, and however you got into the services. If you're brand new, you're a visitor, you're on vacation, uh, you're a person that maybe is on a journey to try to find Jesus or just checking out the church, I think any of the things we're talking about will fit you, and, and you, will, you will understand exactly what I'm talking about because we all experience these things. That's not like it's only a Christian thing or a non-Christian thing. Every human experiences what I'm going to talk about, and every human has to respond in the way they can respond and what the resources they have to respond with. And so obviously I'm going to take that from a Christian standpoint and a Bible standpoint, how to respond, how to do life, because that's uh, what we are. We're church, and we're here to give you the Word of God and encourage you by the Spirit. And so we're going to talk about this word encouraged, and I'll give you a definition in just a moment, but the word encouraged is important to everybody, as in the United States of America right now, there's a lot of people very discouraged about life and themselves and our nation and very confused about what's going on with elections and terrorism and all the stuff and the pressures. And, and we know from the uh, medical journals and from research that right now there's a lot of people suffering from many different levels of depression, oppression, discouragement. And they have different uh, meds they will take. Some, some will do counseling. Some will do nothing. They'll just kind of trudge through and try to get it done and try to do life. But we understand in America, there's a thing called stress. There's a thing called uh, a cloud that hangs over our head sometimes when it comes to life. And uh, there's a lot of things that press us down. Actually, the word oppression that Jesus uses in the New Testament means to press and push someone down continually. Like once you put your hand on it, you just don't take it off. You just keep pressing and pressing and pressing until they are down all the way. And that's what the word oppression is, is a, a continual pressure that's put on someone until they are bound with that emotion. And Jesus went around delivering people from that, it says in the book of Acts. He actually preached a message to people that would release them from that kind of oppression or depression. In America, we would call it depression, when a person suffers from uh, some kind of a breakdown. Sometimes it is physical. Sometimes it is mental. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's circumstantial. Sometimes it's just life. Sometimes it's a repetitious life that has so many cycles of discouragement that begins to press a person down and they can't get back up. You might be that person. There were certainly dozens of hands that went up in the first service that uh, recognized themselves as being a person that could be discouraged and need to be encouraged. And how do they get into that? Discouragement means to simply lose heart. The word Encourage has in it courage, and the word courage has the Latin word and the root word, and actually in the Greek also has something to do with your heart, has something to do with that core piece of you. And, and when you lose heart, we, we say heart, meaning all of our faculties. When you lose heart, 
You lose something core. You lose something deep. You lose something that's uh, uh, really the piece that's keeping you all together, keeping you having motivation, keeping you having perspective, keeping you to feel good about yourself and life and, and pressing through things and having fight to get through the trouble. That's heart. And so when you have heart, you have fight back. When you lose heart, you lose fight. When you lose heart, you lose perspective. When you lose heart, you lose motivation. When you lose heart, you lose decision-making. When you lose heart, things begin to change around you. And it's hard sometimes to balance how fast they change. When there's an understanding of discouragement, you would understand that some people go through mild discouragement. That is, it's a breeze that blows over them, but they get through it. Maybe it lasts for a few hours or one day, but it doesn't bother them to the place that they stop. So mild discouragement would be most of us have seen it, we'll see it, we handle it, it doesn't stop us. But then there's another level called severe or strong discouragement. Strong discouragement would be where it lasts more than a few days. It actually becomes something you have to hassle with and you actually wake up with it and go to bed with it and it begins to change some of your feelings and emotions and how you address yourself in life. And then there's that severe discouragement that turns into weeks and months. It's not just a passing emotion. It's not a passing thought. You're now under it. You, you have a, a severe thing going on in your life. And because of that, some people will isolate themselves. They will withdraw from life. Why? Because they're embarrassed on how they feel. They think everybody can read their mail, but most people can't. But they think people can actually see how bad they are, how bad they're thinking, and, and their social skills go south. They're, they're not comfortable in a lot of social settings, and, and they start to isolate themselves, and they turn people away and their relationships start getting short-ended. And before you know it, if you're married, there's something going on there too with your kids. They maybe be able to see it. And then if you continue on, you'll move into what could be called crippling discouragement. And crippling is exactly that. It stops you. It stops life. You now are a different person than you were two years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, you, you now have allowed something to take you down to the place where your personality has changed. Your whole perspective on life has changed. Your drive is not there. Your fight back is not there. Your mind's filled with negative thinking. Your mind's filled with negative thought all the time. You see the worst end of everything. You're now predicting things to get worse. You're now thinking that things are actually going to turn for the worse because that's the way it's always been and that's your life. So people can't really just grab you and pull you up. You're too deep in. They, they can't get to you because you're so deep down and you won't let them get to you. And so what happens, either you get into counseling, if you get into crippling discouragement and depression, or you get into some kind of meds to help you maybe lift your emotions some. But Understanding that discouragement and depression, everything I'm talking about, is not just a physical problem. I'm not saying it always is a spiritual problem, but it's not just a physical problem. There can be darkness that comes over a soul. There can be a cloud, as Jesus speaks about the people that were like broken reeds and broken lights. He talks about these kind of people in the Bible. Actually, there's a lot said about what I'm talking about in the Bible where people actually have 
have been bound by something and they can't seem to come out of it. They can't seem to, to break the frown. You know, you're like standing in front of a cold wind and, and, and the wind is just making your face freeze and everyone else is smiling, but you can't smile. You just froze. You're frozen in the emotion. You're frozen in life and you don't want to be and you don't want to be that way. You don't want to live this way. You don't want to think this way. But as life goes on, you begin to get molded into that kind of person. That is the person we would like to see encouraged. We would like to see you gain heart. We would like to see you actually be able to be pulled up from where you are. And I'm going to say that I believe the Holy Spirit of the living God can help people. I'm going to say that Jesus Christ understands depression. I'm going to say that the Holy Spirit is the best counselor of all counselors. I'm going to say there is healing in the cross and there's freedom in the blood of Jesus and, and there's a way to break bondage and, and you don't have to live the way you are. You don't have to, even if you have a family tree filled with dysfunctionalities and other things that have happened, you still have a hope that Jesus Christ can deliver your soul and that he can actually change your life, that he can actually, by his spirit come in and do something. Why? Because he created you. Your spirit's all about it. God created you. He knows exactly how to get to you. He knows exactly how to unwind that bondage. He knows exactly how to release that pressure and that take away that cloud over your life. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament, he got so discouraged there came a time when he said these words, everything is against me. Everything. Everything is against me. There are people that get there where you see everything is wrong. Everything's against me. Or how about David who says, surely one day I will die at the hand of Saul. I don't know about the prophecies and the promises and all this stuff about king and the anointing I received, but you know what? I've been running from this guy for 13 years, cave to cave, wilderness to wilderness. I am tired. I am fed up. I have no more fight left in me. Surely one day I will die at the hand of Saul. He was at his lowest ebb right before the turning point of his life. And how about Elijah sitting under the tree and wanting to die and just sitting out in the wilderness by himself in the desert saying, I think I'll just die. He's a prophet. I think I'll just die. I can't do this anymore. I can't go through this. And it's God that comes to him and takes care of him. I just want you to know that even if you are in the discouraged pool or the place of life right now where you would say everything's against me or you would think that nothing is going to change, or you would think, this is my lot in life, and I might as well just go with it. I, I hope that at least you will hear me say to you this morning that God knows exactly where you are, and he has a hope for you, a help for you, and he can reach down to the very depths of your soul and bring you into a new life that you never thought possible in the name of Jesus Christ. Of Nazareth, the one we're singing about. That's what he does. That's what he does. Now, here's a definition for you. Encouraged means to be touched. And this is what we're praying will happen in this service and the services for the next few weeks on this subject, to be touched by God. Deep, 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 deep in your soul soul, mind, will, emotions, deep inside of you. The, the place that is hidden, the place that is not accessible to friends or others, 
the place that you've locked shut and said, you know, nobody can go there and nobody can help that. The Holy Spirit goes there and the Holy Spirit helps that. It's that deep part of our soul where he imparts courage, which is heart. And how about this? A new perspective. How about a changed attitude? How about renewed motivation? How about strength to get up again? Strength to rise above the adversity and fulfill your dream. Just, just to strength to get up again and say, I'm going to give it another try is encouragement. The, the strength to say, I'm going to fight this battle. I'm going to resist what is happening to me. I'm going to put on my armor and get some Bible scriptures and I'm going to go on an offensive attack against the devil of my soul and I'm going to overcome this thing in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I will not roll over and die. I'm going to fight. It's, that's encouragement. When you get heart back, you will feel yourself saying those words, I'm going to fight. I'm going to stand. I'm going to get through it. I'm not going to be this kind of a husband. I am not going to be this kind of a worker. I am not going to let these habits ruin me. I am not going to let these things sneak up on me and bind me. I'm not going to change into a personality that nobody even wants to be around, including myself. You have to gain heart again. And when you gain heart, you'll see the Holy Spirit beginning to put more heart and more heart and more heart. And before you know it, things begin to change. God is for you. The devil's against you, but he's not very smart. He's not the eternal victor. He does not have your bondage in his control and nothing can be done with it. Jesus is greater than the devil. Jesus is greater than your habits. God is greater than any problem you face and ever will face. The devil is the one that puts that cloud over you to start thinking small and thinking with condemnation. I'm no good. I can't change. I'm worthless. I don't even know what people are talking about when they talk about all this answered prayer and God is for me stuff. I don't feel any of that. And my life doesn't line up with that. And the devil comes in and just beats you down more and more because that's the spirit of the enemy that we're up against. He wants to take away your heart. But when you're in the hands of a living God, things are different. What God sees is not what anyone else sees. If you brought me a piece of steel and I looked at it, just a normal piece of rough steel, I might look at it and say, now that would make a great doorstop. <laughs> and so I put it by the door. Someone else might see it and say, oh no, you know what? I could take that and I could make needles out of it. Or horseshoes, even though the horseshoes might only be worth 10 bucks, it's better than a doorstop. 
Or the needles might be worth $250, but at least I can do something with that piece of steel. Or someone else might come and they look at it and they're a manufacturing genius kind of a person. They look at the piece of steel and say, you know what? That can be watch mechanisms. I could make precision mechanisms out of that piece of steel and it would be worth $250,000. Well, the doorstop to the $250,000 is a long shot. It all depends on what piece of steel you have and whose hands it's in and what they see. You're in the hands of God. And what God sees is not a doorstop. He doesn't see you as a needle. He doesn't see you as a horseshoe. He sees you as a piece of a precision watch that's going to be very expensive. No one else can see it, not in a million years when they look at that piece of steel. But when God looks at you, he sees something great, something awesome, something he's making, something he can finish. He has a value in you that is so far above your value, so far above your ideas. And if you could just get yourself into the spirit of prayer and the word of God and hear from God, you will see yourself different than you see yourself right now. You're not a doorstop. You're not a doorstop. Now, in the book of Philippians, there's a, the whole book, and I, I will just frame it a little bit and give you one scripture, but the whole book is written from a guy who understood discouragement. He understands bad circumstances. He understands things going the wrong way. When you read the book of Philippians, you have to go to Acts chapter 16 to read the history of it on the Philippi church and how Paul started and how he got there was accidental. Isn't that how God does almost everything? It's kind of in our mind, accidental. Remember, Paul was on his way to somewhere else and a Macedonia vision came to him and a man saying, come to Macedonia. That's Philippi. Philippi's in Macedonia. And the man says, come over here. And so Paul was moved by the dream and changed his course of action, which God does so many times with our lives so that he can fulfill the vision that he has for us. And when Paul gets there, he goes down to the river and there's a prayer meeting. There's a woman there in business named Lydia, and he makes friends with her in the prayer group, and that's how the church starts. And then it turns into a revival, and people get saved, and persecution, things happen, and he gets thrown into jail. There's an earthquake. He gets out of jail, and then he moves on through his missionary journey. Later on, he writes a letter, the book of Philippians. He writes a letter back to that church, which is now a thriving church. But Paul is now in prison when he writes the letter. And when he writes this letter, he is trying to say something to these Philippians because these Philippians were a very special group of people. They weren't the perfect Jerusalem-type church or Antioch-type church. They were a mixed-race church. They were a mixed-economy church. They had a lot of issues they had to deal with in Philippi. They weren't like any other cities or churches that Paul was in, but he loved the Philippians. He loved this group of people, and when he was in jail, in discouragement, maybe, could have been, and in a circumstance that could have been interpreted as really bad, he writes to Philippians, and I want you to I want you to see these, these scriptures, the 12 famous scriptures of the book of Philippians. And I would like you to take these down. They're on the screen. And I'm just going to read them very carefully. But I want you to think with this framework. If I was discouraged, what scriptures would I need? These 12 right here. 
These are the 12 you need. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can everybody shout a big yes? yes. So what God has started, now this is, this is how you get encouraged. What God has started in you, he's not going to stop. He's not going to quit. He's not going to give up on you ever, ever, ever. He is going to complete the work that he has going in your life right now. Philippians 1.21 for me to live is Christ, that is by the power, the core of you, and for me to die is gain, which means you have no problem on planet earth. Even if you die in your trial, you still go to heaven and get to be with Jesus. There's no lose down here. We are winners all the way. In the worst of circumstance, our life is hid in Christ. Can I hear a yes? yes. Philippians 2.5, famous scriptures. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of a mind? Well, read Philippians chapter 2. The kind of mind that needs to be in Jesus has a perspective on Jesus, perspective on the Father, perspective on life. Philippians 3, 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. So even if you do lose things, there's a gain in Christ. Philippians 3, 10, famous, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his suffering, conformed to his death. Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I do not count myself, also sistren. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting. Everyone shout forgetting. Now these are encouragement scriptures. How do you get encouraged? I live in Christ. I die in Christ. I let go of things. I forget the past. Forgetting those things which are behind. Philippians 4.4, 4. how do you get encouraged? Rejoice in the circumstance. No, it does not say that. It says rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't matter what circumstance you're in. Your rejoicing is not, I didn't rejoice in cancer. I rejoice in cancer and, you know, my, my situation. I didn't rejoice even using that. I didn't even like using the word cancer. I used the word challenge because I didn't like, like to give cancer any praise at all. And so I would just call it my challenge. And you're not rejoicing in that disease. You're rejoicing in the Lord. Your, your hope, your joy, your prayer, your heart is in the Lord. Doesn't matter where you are, whatever you're in, in darkness, in storm, in situations, in dysfunctionalities, in disappointment, in hurt, in abuse, in, 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 in. You can be in a lot of things, but where you really are, what you're really in, is in the Lord. And because of that, you rejoice in the Lord. So no matter what the devil throws your way, you're in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice. Philippians 4.6, be anxious for nothing. That is, quit worrying. In everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why? Worry has been proven to not answer prayer. <laughs> Worry has been proven to mess up people's thinking. Worry is one of America's great problems that we face. We face this in every area of our life. Paul says, quit worrying about everything because a lot of the stuff you worry about won't happen. And some of the stuff you don't worry about will happen, which means everything's going to happen that's going to happen. 
You can't control tomorrow. You can't control life. You can't control people. The only thing you can control is your response to God. That's what you control. And so you are in the Lord. Quit worrying about the things right now. How many of you right now have at least worried about one thing already today? How many have worried about more than one thing? How many of you have a degree in worrying? Man, your first response to pressure is, it's not going to be good. This is going to be bad. This is, oh no, this is, I've seen this before. The confession of your mouth, the attitude of your heart is what surrounds you with that oppression and the deepness of the the discouragement that tries to take off your heart and then the devil pounds on you a little bit more. I, I would encourage you to lift your heart up a little bit and simply say to worry, worry, you have no more access to me. You have been put out of my house and put out of my mind and as soon as I worry, Now, this is a good thing for you to practice today and right on. As soon as you start to worry, the very first thing that happens, that's your sign to rejoice in the Lord. As soon as you feel worry, that's the red alert button that says pray. And when you find your mind saying, oh, no, no, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. You have to let your spirit say, no, 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 no. God knows, God knows, God knows. No, I know. No, God knows. Who knows best? God knows best. Pray. Philippians 4 and verse 7. All of these are famous verses. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart, guard your mind, through the power of the Holy Spirit. What is Paul saying? You want to break yourself out of discouragement? Rejoice in the Lord. Quit worrying. Let peace surround you. Put God back on the throne instead of you. Begin to see things working together for good. Confess that, pray that, and be that. And watch that fear break off your heart. Philippians 4 verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need. How's this for an attitude? For I have learned in whatever state I am, Washington, Oregon, no, it means emotional. <laughs> whatever state I am, what's Paul say? Everybody quotes this scripture, but it comes from a guy sitting in prison to be content. Paul is saying to the Philippians, don't worry. Don't let your contentment be taken from you. Quit trading in worry and getting rid of prayer, quit having a perspective about life that would cause you not to rejoice until things are right. If you have to wait until everything is right before you rejoice, you will not be rejoicing very much. That's a good point, Frank. Thank you very much. How about this one? Again, a famous, a famous verse, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, what a, what a great way to live. If you would just take these scriptures right here. How about Philippians 4.19? And my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches, not my poverty, not my circumstance, but his riches. 
Everybody here is faced with spiritual and body, relational, material, financial, all kinds of stuff will go on. Some worse than others, it seems, but nobody knows everybody's story. But if you would simply take these verses down and simply begin to read them this week and meditate and say, I'm encouraged. Why? Because God's going to finish his work in me. And also I'm encouraged because I am not a doorstop. I'm a valuable piece of steel. I have the potential of doing great things in this life. God will supply my need. God will give me peace. I am not going to worry anymore. I'm going to rejoice in life. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in my circumstance, whatever it might be. I am going to turn on the right mentality. I'm going to put Jesus' mind in me that sees the Father working in me. Even when I can't see the Father working, I believe the Father is working. Therefore, I am going to rejoice. I'm going to get rid of worry. I'm going to have peace. I'm going to have a new mind. I'm going to see provisions come. I'm going to see resources released to me. Why? Because God wants to bless me. I am his favorite person. All my kids say to me, all four of them, and I'm your favorite daughter, right? I said, absolutely. Then the next one, I'm your favorite daughter, aren't I? Absolutely. The next one, I'm your favorite, favorite daughter, right? Absolutely. Sometimes they hear me answering one of the kids and they say, I thought I was, you are. For me to give that one more doesn't mean I give you less. What does that mean, dad? Too deep for you. <laughs> Move on. God has nothing but favorites. Every kid is his favorite. Every problem child that others say, you're not going anywhere, you're not worth much, and you're just a doorstop, God would say, <laughs> but if you put that doorstop in my hands, we got something going. We got something going then. Something beyond what anybody can say. Okay. I'm going to say these four points. And I think we have slides for this last four. Go ahead and put them up. Are they single, single points or on one slide, or how's it go? That, that's a hint. God is for you. I am for you. Now put the slide on. They don't have anybody talk to him like this. I've been gone. Mark's probably a lot nicer than I am about these people. But, but I, I love them. I love the work of God in them. Okay. How much money do you want? Here's the four points. Be patient. I hope you write these four little thoughts down and just pray them during the week. Be patient. God's not finished with you yet. Actually, in the Bill Gothard seminar, we're... I first heard this. I'm sure it's not first with Bill or anybody else. It's been around probably since the Garden of Eden. But when I first heard it, it was a very encouraging thought to me. Please be patient. God is not finished with you yet. That encouraged me because I was a piece of work, and I still am, but I'm a good piece of work. Two, God will never give you, give up on you, 
So don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on yourself. Jeremy, when we do the last song, I want to do the fast one, We Are Alive. That one, the, the, happy, the happy dance song. Third, no one can snatch you out of God's hands. Come on, someone shout hallelujah. That this method should encourage, encourage you. And four, through it all, don't give up on loving God and serving God. Just hang on. Hang on. Why? Because you're alive in him. He's alive in you. And Philippians 1, 6 says, he will finish what he started. Even if you can't see it, God's at work. He's never going to give up on you. He's going he's gonna to get to the root, and he's going to pull stuff up, and you're going to be better. You're going to be better and better and better. The path of the justice has a shining light that gets better and better. Can I hear an amen?